The Old Testament lesson for the first Sunday in Advent is from Jeremiah chapter 23. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when they shall no longer say, as the Lord lives who brought up the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt, but as the Lord lives who brought up and led the offspring of the house of Israel out of the north country and out of all the countries where he had driven them, then they shall dwell in their own land. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The epistle is from Romans chapter 13. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Besides this, you know the time, that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 21st chapter. Glory be to thee, O Lord. When they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise be to thee, O Christ! Behold, the days are coming. Could well be the theme for Advent. Behold, the days are coming. We pray in the collect of the day for the Sundays of Advent this prayer. Stir up your power, O Lord, and come and save us. The day is coming. Our Old Testament lesson from Jeremiah was written at a time when the people of Israel were in exile. 
They were far from their home. They had been taken from Jerusalem, captured by a foreign army, and displaced from their lands. They had to leave behind their homes, their farms, their cities, their worship, their temple. It was all behind them, and they sat in a foreign country. And God is speaking to them in Jeremiah, saying, The days are coming when you will no longer think about when I rescued you from Egypt. Back when you were slaves under Pharaoh, and I sent those ten plagues, and I brought you through the Red Sea, and I fed you manna in the wilderness, you will no longer think about when I saved you from that, but instead you will think about how I'm saving you from this, from Babylon, from your city of exile. Behold, the days are coming when you will no longer say, as the Lord lives who brought up his people out of Egypt, but instead you will say, as the Lord lives who brought up and led the offspring of the house of Israel out of the north country and out of all the countries where he had driven them. A new rescue was coming, new salvation, new redemption, new freedom and new restoration. That is what God was doing in Jeremiah. And the message is repeated today, but it is better than before. Behold, the days are coming. When no longer will we think about how God rescued his people from Egypt or from Babylon, but how God has rescued us, his people, from this world. From a world of sin and death and darkness. Behold, the days are coming. When we will look back instead of forward. When we will look back and say, praise be to God, who has brought salvation to his people. Now, the time that you are in exile, the time that you are a slave, is really a provisional time. Things are not as they should be, and your life is not what it should look like. In many ways, when you are a slave or when you are in exile, you're living as an outlaw, somewhat in rebellion. So think about the people of Israel when they were in Egypt. Pharaoh gave the command, all of your baby boys need to be tossed into the Nile River. And those faithful Hebrew midwives, who are named in the scriptures for their faithfulness, they told a lie. They said to Pharaoh's soldiers and his captains, they said, well, the, the Hebrew ladies, they're so vigorous that they give birth to their children before we can come and throw them into the river. I'm so sorry, we couldn't do it. They were outlaws. They didn't obey Pharaoh and his wicked commands. Likewise, when the people were exiled in Babylon, you know these stories. Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the king said, you must bow down to this image. You must pray to me. And the people of Israel, the faithful ones, said, sorry, I can't do that. You're just going to have to throw me to the lions. You're just going to have to throw me in the fiery furnace. The time of slavery, the time of exile, the time of living in a foreign land is a time in which you are really an outlaw. You don't belong and the one claiming to be king, the one claiming to be your Lord, is not your Lord at all. And you know it. Now some people think about being an outlaw and they get it all wrong. They think about rebellion and they think it simply means being contrarian. That is, for every command, the answer is no. You say jump and I say no thank you. You say go and I say I'll return. You say forward and I'll say backward. That's what they think rebellion and being an outlaw consists of. But that's not what we're talking about here. It's not utter anarchy, not complete chaos. It is instead obeying a higher law, obeying a higher authority. The reason the Hebrew midwives saved those baby boys was not because they hated Pharaoh, but because they loved God. The reason Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did not obey was not because they despised the king, but because they honored and feared the Lord. And it was his law 
they wanted to obey and not anyone else's. And as I was thinking about this, thinking about being an outlaw, the first picture that jumped into my mind was that of Robin Hood. Hopefully you all remember something about Robin Hood. Maybe you saw the Disney version of the story or you've read stories of Robin Hood. It's really a great example of how our lives look in this world, in this life. So you know how it goes. Robin Hood was a nobleman who lived in the land of England, but King Richard was out of town. He was on the Crusades. A good king, Richard the Lionheart. He was away. And his wicked, despicable brother, John, was a usurper. He wanted to take over the throne. And he was hoping that his brother Richard would never return, that he would just die in the Crusades. And eventually he kind of perpetrates a lie. King Richard's never coming back. I am the king. That's what Prince John said. And he employed all kinds of scoundrels, the sheriff of Nottingham, to do his bidding. And he worked with the church, with the abbots and bishops, to extort people, the tax collectors, to take what didn't belong to them. It sounds a lot like the New Testament, the Pharisees and the tax collectors. Robin Hood was a nobleman, and what Prince John wanted was for all of the noblemen to play along, to be a part of his plot, to love his law, and to benefit from it. After all, if you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. But Robin Hood saw that that was not good. He saw that that came at the expense of the poor and the common folks, that as Prince John and all of the rich noblemen padded their pockets, the common folk went hungry. They starved, and they were driven to crime, stealing in order to feed their children. And so Robin Hood said, that's enough. He gave up his title, he left his home, and he went to live in Sherwood Forest. Now, you know how this goes. The, the theme for Robin Hood was rob from the rich and give to the poor, which is ethically dubious. I don't know that you can really justify robbing from the rich to give to the poor, at least not in the sense that Robin Hood did it filling his coffers and then distributing, redistributing the wealth. He was taking matters into his own hands. But this is what Robin Hood had going for him. He knew that whatever he did living in Sherwood Forest with his band of merry men was only temporary. Salvation would come. Things would finally change when King Richard returned. Finally, when King Richard returned, he could drive Prince John from the throne and that guy would get his comeuppance. Robin Hood understood that it wasn't his to do. He couldn't kill Prince John. He couldn't kill the Sheriff of Nottingham. King Richard was needed to restore justice. And the thing that ruined everything for Prince John, that drove him mad, was the fact that Robin Hood was outside of the law. He was an outlaw. He didn't care about anything that Prince John said. He and his band of merry men were happy, were delighted to do whatever it was that seemed good to them, or at least what seemed good according to a true law a righteous law. That made them indignant, and so Prince John sent sheriff, the Sheriff of Nottingham. They pursued Robin Hood constantly, followed him around, and tried to entrap him and ensnare him. But Robin Hood was on the run. He was an outlaw. He refused to obey. He refused to follow along with what Prince John was commanding. He refused to play that game. Instead, he was waiting for something better, waiting for the restoration of a true king, a righteous king, and a just king. It's a picture of your life in this world. In a very real sense, being a Christian consists of being an outlaw. Now, I am not suggesting, don't get me wrong here, that you go and rob from the rich and give to the poor. And I am not suggesting either that you break whatever laws you choose willy-nilly. Don't be like that. Don't be a contrarian that says, well, if I'm free, if I'm an outlaw, I can do whatever I want. Instead, be like this. Acknowledge that there is a higher law 
than this world knows, a better law than this world understands, a better king than the rulers and lords of this world, a king who is righteous and who is coming again. And so, live according to his laws. Live as though his kingdom is here now, although we are waiting for its final appearing. Live as though the kings and rulers of this world have no power over you. Live merrily. Celebrate a Merry Christmas so that they are indignant. How can you be so free? How can you live so in joy and happiness and hope? Pay attention, though, to the kinds of laws we're talking about here. Once again, I'm not talking about just throwing off the government, just throwing off the state of Minnesota, just throwing off what the sheriff says. I'm not talking about those kinds of laws. Instead, think about the kinds of laws that actually govern our world. The kinds of things that the world says you must do in order to be a good person, in order to make sense of this life. The world says you must do things like this, to save and invest for your future in this world. To be like that farmer who had a rich crop ahead of him and said, I'm going to need to build a new barn. I'm going to fill my barn and my silos and I don't have anywhere else to put all of my extra grain. This is wonderful soul, he says to himself. Eat, drink, and be merry. You've got plenty forever. Of course, his eyes were only to the end of his days. He couldn't see the day in which he would die, which God says to him is that night. Fool, tonight your soul is required of you. Money and possessions and temporal pleasures, these are all the things, the things of this world, that the world says you must love. You must love them. They're the best things we've got. And so invest yourself in them. Devote yourself to them. Devote yourself to this game. I've used this analogy before, but I think it's so helpful. It's like our world is playing Monopoly, acting as though those Monopoly dollars are actually going to buy them anything in the end. You know where true riches are found. You know the future beyond the grave. You know that you can have treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves cannot break in and steal. Treasures that are godly and righteous and eternal. Treasures found in the word of God. Treasures found in the body and blood of Jesus. Treasures found in doing works of righteousness according to God's law, not according to the laws of this world. And so here's how you live as an outlaw right now. Jesus puts it this way. He says, give to those who are in need. Lend to those who cannot repay. Be merciful like your heavenly Father, who is kind even to the ungrateful and the evil. Now, that is truly to behave like an outlaw. In this world, you are not supposed to be kind to the ungrateful and evil. You're supposed to return like unto like. If they're mean to you, you should be mean back to them. If they're kind to you, then fine, be kind to them. But God is not like that, and neither should you be. Be kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Don't think that the things of this life, the things that you might preserve for yourself by watching your back and putting yourself first, don't think that they will last. They won't. Instead, be like your Heavenly Father who invests for a future in you, in which you last forever, who has designed for you works of righteousness, works of love, that will outlive the grave. Think about that. The good works that God has prepared for you, which fly in the face of everything this world sees as good, those works have been prepared for you by your Heavenly Father from before the foundation of the world, and those are works that will follow you into eternity, so that on the last day and in eternity, your Heavenly Father will be pleased with you because you have lived as an outlaw in this life. That's thing number one. 
Save and invest not for a temporary future, not for the future of this world, but for an eternal future. Here's number two. Here's how you live as an outlaw right now. Don't follow your heart. That's the advice the world gives you. Follow your heart. It's every Disney movie. You've seen them. You know that the moral of the story is to do what's in you. Don't listen to your parents. Don't listen to the traditions. Don't listen to what everybody else's is good. Instead, follow your own desires. And that's how you can truly live. That's how you will find happiness. Wish upon a star. Wish for whatever you want. You can be whoever you want to be. You can do whatever you want to do. Follow your heart. That's what the world says. But Jesus says otherwise. He says, out of the heart comes all kinds of wickedness. So you better not listen to it. Instead, follow God's word. Listen to God's word. That's what it means to be an outlaw. Don't trust your heart, but instead receive from God's hand everything that he says is good. He knows better than you or I. Pay attention to the times when your heart contradicts what God says. Pay attention to the times when you hear God's word and your heart says, that can't possibly be good. And instead of believing your heart, listen to God. You'll be living as an outlaw. You'll be rejecting everything everyone around you says you should do. And that's good. Because you know that there is a better authority, a better king. Live as though God is Lord and not as though you are. He's a better king and a Lord than your heart. Listen to him. Here's number three. Here's the third way you live as an outlaw right now. And that is to take responsibility. Our world suggests that whenever anything goes wrong, it's not your fault. That's how you should think. It's never my fault. It's always the other person's fault. There's always somebody else to blame, someone to point the finger at. Whatever mistakes they were made, whatever mistakes I made, they were just an accident. I didn't mean to do it. But whenever somebody else makes a mistake, it's because they were evil and malicious and they hate me and they think evil of me. That's what the world says. You have to have your defenses up, always ready to go. You're never wrong. You're always right. And everyone's against you. To live like an outlaw, to live like a Christian, is completely different. It's to put the best construction on everything that everyone else does. Everything that everyone else does. To look at what others do, not as something to victimize you, but instead as an opportunity for you to love and forgive. That's the most scandalous, outrageous thing that being a Christian consists of. It is forgiving. It's easy to forgive when the person across from you is lovable. It's easy to forgive when they seem really sorry. It's easy to forgive when you can have the upper hand as a result. That's not what God asks of you. He asks you to suffer wrong and forgive the way Jesus does. That is, unto death. To die to yourself. To die to your own sense of righteousness. To die to your own sense of goodness. To die to your own sense of justice. Instead, to suffer wrong and forgive. To plead with your dying breath, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That is how you live as an outlaw. People will look at you and marvel. They'll think you're out of your mind. Why won't you just play along? Why won't you just pursue justice now for yourself? Why won't you stand up for yourself now? But instead, you're letting yourself be wronged and you're praising God. That it's another opportunity for his love to show through you. Jesus sums all of this up and St. Paul puts a bow on it in Romans chapter 13. He says, it's love. That's what all of this is. Loving another and not yourself. Now, the point for you to take home today is that doing that in actuality, doing that in reality, is to live in an otherworldly way. It's to live as an outlaw. 
It should raise your attention. It should, your, your radar should be all lit up when the world seems to be telling you what love is. It has no idea. Listen instead to what God says love is. In this we know love, St. John says, that Jesus died for us. That's how you should live your life. That's what God is inviting to you to right now. That's what he is calling to you as he is sending his son to return again as judge of the living and the dead. Remember Robin Hood. He's waiting as he lives as an outlaw. He's waiting for King Richard to return. Remember those uh, midwives, those Hebrew midwives. Remember Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They weren't thinking that by their own efforts, by living as an outlaw right now, they're somehow going to save their people or they're going to somehow secure the future. They're doing it now because they're waiting for salvation, waiting for redemption. They're living now as though salvation has already come. That is what God is asking of you. He says, trust me. Believe me, I sent my son to die for you. On Palm Sunday, so long ago, Jesus rode into Jerusalem, humble and mounted on a donkey, to reign enthroned on a cross with a crown of thorns on his head and nails in his hands and feet and bleeding out for you because he loves you, bringing you salvation. The day is at hand when God's salvation has drawn near, but he will come again, God says. This time not in humility, not humble and mounted on a donkey, but in glory to vindicate you against everyone who thinks that you're out of your mind, against everyone who is trying to draw you along with this world, against your own heart, which is misleading you into sin and death. He is coming again to send Prince John and the Sheriff of Nottingham running. He's coming again to rout the gods of Egypt with those ten plagues. He's coming again to bring the king of Babylon to nothing. He's coming again to destroy this world so that he can redeem you, so he can rescue you. The day is at hand. That's what St. Paul says. It's here. It's knocking on the door. Already the light has begun to dawn. So set aside the works of darkness and instead live in the light. Let the intro that we said at the beginning of the service, let that be your prayer. Make me to know your ways, O Lord, and teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation and for you. For you, I wait all the day long. To God alone be all glory, now and forever. Amen.